Okay, we're going to begin uh, now to continue our study. Uh, it's a series in the foundations of the faith. We began it last week on the future. And last week I mentioned to you that I wanted to approach this subject in this fashion. I gave the illustration of a mountain range, the peaks of which are visible and identifiable from afar, though the specific distances between the peaks sometimes are a little obscure. So too with prophetic events in God's mountain range of future things. There are noticeable and prominent peaks, and I want for our time to be focused on those. And we differ as Christians when it comes to the distances and time frames and all the rest between the peaks. And so to approach this subject, we're using the Bible as an outline, and in particular, a passage of Scripture in Daniel. Do you remember the chapter? Yeah, Daniel chapter 9. It's kind of like a, um, well, if you will, a, a guidebook through this marvelous uh, mountain range of prophetic events. And we began to look at four verses. We looked at two last week. It was Daniel 9, verses 24 and 25. And this week, uh, we'll look at the final two, verse 26 and 27. Remember, Daniel prayed as the Jews were being uh, sent back to Jerusalem after Babylonian exile. And Daniel said, God, what now? And he would have been satisfied with information uh, merely pertaining to Israel's immediate future, but instead God gave him that and much, much more through the angel Gabriel. So this is really, if we want to be technically correct, not Daniel's prophecy. It's God's prophecy delivered to Daniel and all the rest of us who read, uh, through the angel Gabriel. So he spoke of, last week, the angel did, a period of 70 weeks. So that's a pretty important period of time to think about. And I mentioned to you that the word weeks in Hebrew actually means sevens. So we have 70 distinct periods of sevens. And then I broached the subject, sevens of what? And I ruled out sevens of weeks or of months. It has to be 70 distinct periods of years in order for the six divine directives which were given in verse 24 of Daniel 9 to be accomplished. They involved the atoning work of the Lord Jesus on the cross and the establishment of his kingdom on earth. And so we need a period of time, 70 times seven years or 490 years. And so that being the background, let's pick up where we left off tonight, uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. Here's what it says. Then, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. So the 
prior verse in Daniel, verse 25, spoke of the reconstruction of the city of Jerusalem in seven weeks. And if a week really means seven, seven times seven weeks of years is 49 years. And history tells us that's exactly what happened. Artaxerxes, the Persian king, issued the decree to rebuild Jerusalem in approximately 444 B.C. From that point on, Ezra and Nehemiah engaged the people in this marvelous construction project, which was in fact completed even under duress after a period of 49 years. That's the first seven weeks of the 70 weeks in Daniel's prophecy. And then, verse 25 mentioned, in a difference to this first period of distinct time, seven weeks, it mentioned another period consisting of 62 weeks. So if it's 62 sevens, 62 times seven is 434 years. And so this is what we read now about the 62 weeks in Daniel chapter 9, the verse we just read. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. You have the rebuilding of the temple. It began with the decree of Artaxerxes in about 445 B.C., 49 years, the seven weeks it took to rebuild. Then you have 62 weeks leading up to the time when Messiah will be cut off. Cut off. In Hebrew, it means to kill or to destroy. In the same sense in which you would execute a common criminal. You can see how clearly this is a reference, I think you could, to the crucifixion of none other than the Messiah Jesus. It was as if he was a criminal. He was executed by the form of capital punishment known as crucifixion, a horrible fate reserved for criminals. The Messiah was cut off, you see, after 62 weeks. And then after the Messiah will be cut off, it says he will have nothing. What does that mean? Do you know when Jesus went to and died on the cross, he received nothing that he deserved. He received no honor. He received no respect. He received no love. All things which he deserved. He had nothing. Instead, he received what he did not deserve, your sin and my sin. That's the way it was. And when cut off, he had nothing. And the people of the prince, it says in this verse, who is to come. Ah, so here is a second prince. In the prior verse, we read about Messiah, the prince, clearly of the Lord Jesus. Now we're introduced to another kind of a prince, a second one in Gabriel's prophecy. He's introduced in contrast. He's not the same. He's in contrast to Messiah, the prince, who we read about first in verse 25. This one is not the prince. This one is, if you will, the anti-prince. He is not the Christ. This one is the anti-Christ. Now, we have much to say about the Antichrist in 
weeks ahead. For now, I want you to see we're being introduced now to a very key player on the stage of prophetic history. First, Messiah the Prince, and then the counterfeiter, who would be like the Most High God, is introduced into the picture here. He is the Anti-Prince. And notice the Anti-Prince, or the Antichrist, is identified, according to this verse, with a particular people group. It says, and the people, the people of the Prince who is to come. So what is that a reference to? If you've read through the book of Daniel, uh, you'll find out that in it are identified four world empires, the first of which is Babylon, followed by Medo-Persia. History tells us this is exactly accurate. And then Greece, and then Rome. And we're told furthermore in Daniel that the Roman Empire, which fell, will be one day revived as a ten-nation confederacy. This, during the last days. We'll talk much about the United States of Europe uh, in subsequent weeks. I think these things are happening even in our day. And so the people of the prince who is to come, the people identified with the anti-prince, will in fact have some kind of a connection with a revived Roman European Empire. And, and it's quite interesting, I think, to see the radically changing face of Europe. Once the seat of some of the world's giants in our faith and now under entirely different influence. Could I just depart from this for a second? Do you know... The world is a bit scary. I don't know if you knew that. Um, and I, I was thinking about this the other day. I went to the doctor, uh, as everyone in Houston apparently has these days. And I described some symptoms, and he said, oh, yeah, that's everyone. And uh, so he said, I'm going to give you something, and eventually it'll go away. And uh, so I said, good. And, but he said, I want you to know, tomorrow morning when you get up, this will probably be the case. What you have will probably manifest in such and such a way. Okay. So um, I got up yesterday morning, and uh, man, that guy was right. Uh, uh, the symptoms manifested in exactly the same way Boy, I'm getting you nervous. It isn't some crazy tropical disease. Nothing, don't worry. <laughs> it's just a, just a goofy thing. But anyway, it manifested. The symptoms were exactly like what he told me. Now, I found this to be really interesting because I, the symptoms were, I mean, they're uncomfortable. They're disturbing. You just don't feel so hot. And yet what made me feel really, really good is that I knew about them in advance. <laughs> and I felt like, good night. I'm, I'm comforted because there's someone with expertise out there who saw it coming. Uh, and my trust uh, was placed rightly in, in this physician. He predicted what was ahead. And even though what was ahead is fairly distasteful, somehow the distastefulness of it all was manageable because I knew it was coming. So too with what? will face us. Some difficult days ahead. The Bible tells us all about it. 
some challenges facing the world, and I think Christians in particular. But don't get unduly concerned. Oh, yeah, pray. But don't get unduly, don't, don't, don't hide out. Because our Father <laughs> told us all about it. He told us about this anti-prince he told us about what he's going to do. He told us about it all in advance. And even though it's very distasteful, there's something about it, knowing from our Father in advance that it's coming. It sort of makes you feel like, yeah, Dad, Dad already told me. The Antiprince is not calling the shots. Nobody is calling the shots. Our sovereign God who's seated on the throne is calling the shots. So isn't that good to know that our timeless Abba Father has already been to the future? <laughs> Nothing takes him by surprise, and he's let us in at least on the prominent features of it so that we are not taken by surprise. So there will be this, this people group of the prince, we read, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and its end will come with a flood. Jerusalem, Yerushalom, city of peace but no peace. Now, folks, that prophecy of Gabriel took place in part in the destruction of Jerusalem by the Roman emperor Titus and the 10th legion in A.D. 70. And this verse is surely a reference to this most significant destructive event in A.D. 70. But don't stop there. There's much more to the judgment upon Jerusalem than that which took place in A.D. 70. The invasion of Israel by Rome in that year did not and the nation's sufferings. In fact, Gabriel said right here, even to the end there will be war. A.D. 70 did not end things. It's a precursor of greater animosity towards Israel to come. I point that out to you because there's some folks and some are the most wonderful people I know who are wonderfully wrong about A.D. 70. They think in that year, all of the, no, not all, the most prominent peaks in God's prophetic mountain range were fulfilled. So what's in the book of Revelation has pretty much already taken place in A.D. 70. We'll get to it. That's not true. No way. Didn't happen. Not yet. So, so though something significant happened in A.D. 70, it doesn't tell the whole story until its final persecution by the anti-prince, the anti-Christ. Israel has and will continue to experience a rather steady stream of persecution, opposition, hostility, and desolation that simply began with Titus's destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Good night, folks. It's still going on. Some crazed madman just shot nine kids studying in a theological seminary a week ago 
over in Israel. I wish things were over in AD 70. They aren't. It's just a foreshadowing. There will be, sadly, a holocaust of the Jews under the authority of this Antichrist, beyond anything imaginable, sadly, and anything previously experienced, so that Gabriel describes it as a flood. Folks, this is a reference to something which we'll spend a lot of time talking about, the Great Tribulation. That's one of the peaks in God's prophetic mountain range. For now, let's move on to the 70th and final week of Gabriel's prophecy. It's in Daniel 9, verse 27. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So let's analyze this just a little more carefully. Notice the first phrase. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. Who is the he? It's the Antichrist. We'll spend time trying to identify who he is. I don't think, despite popular opinion, that it is Brother Chuck. I don't, I'm telling you, I don't, I see what you're saying, but I really don't. Okay. So he, is, he is actually here, Cindy? Yeah. Okay. It wasn't. I meant another Chuck. But we'll talk about who is the Antichrist and where does he come from and can he be can he be identified? So the, he is the Antichrist, and it says he will make this covenant, notice, with the many. Who are the many? Well, folks, the many are, are Jews. The Antichrist will make a covenant with the many. They are Jews. And, and he will make a covenant with the Jewish people in Israel. Uh, the text says for one week. In other words, for one seven-year period. The Antichrist will inaugurate a covenant of sorts with the Jewish people, primarily in Israel, that will last for seven years. It will be a peace treaty. You know, well, Jews aren't, you know, Jews are kind of smart. How are you going to fall for this? You know, the character of the Antichrist. You know, today in our staff meeting, our pastor was sharing a, 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 a number of things with us. And one of the things that caught my attention was when he said there was a day when people were elected or followed or supported on the basis of character, but today much more on the basis of charisma. Isn't that true? Now, there's no shame in having both. Uh, Take me, for example. And, uh, <laughs> but we can see, even in our immediate political situa situation, how a people could get so hungry for relief and for hope and for a reason to go on and for a, an expectation of a bright future. Um, that anybody 
persuasive enough, likable enough to declare its coming could be seen to be quite popular. In Israel, they're dying for peace. Uh, they hate the fact that often they have to, the parents have to gather up their children and go underground into these shelters. They paint them, the parents do, they paint the protruding above ground parts of these underground shelters almost cartoon-like so that it would be less horrific when their children have to go down there with them. They're yearning for, they're trying everything. They're giving away their inheritance, even uh, in a vain quest to make peace. And nobody's efforts has come close to bringing it about. Nobody. Can you imagine when somehow someone arrives on the scene, somehow with the capacity to move in and out of both groups, the Israelis and the Palestinians, somehow someone who has credibility with both, I don't know how, who offers a, 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 a peace plan that somehow is backed up by some supportive manifestations of power. Can you see, it isn't far-fetched to see how people hungry for peace but seeking it apart from the Prince of Peace will sign a contract with the Anti-Prince. It is not far-fetched. This is not mythological. This doesn't defy reason at all. It's on the horizon, actually. So there will be this seven-year peace treaty and the Antichrist will bring it about and he will be one of heroic proportion, uh, particularly in the eyes of the Jews. But, says the text, in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. If the week is seven years, then the middle of the week is three and a half years. And it's at that three and a half year point that we really have great tribulation. It appears that this one, the Antichrist, will win Israel's favor somehow by arranging for the rebuilding of her prized, sorely missed temple. Can you imagine someone coming on the scenes who's going to be able to broker that deal with the Muslim world population whose third holiest site sits where the temple is supposed to be right now? Who's going to be able to pull this off except someone endowed with a rather supernatural yet evil enablement? And so somehow he will give the Jews what they sorely missed. Right now they weep at a wall. Can you imagine when they have the full structure? Can you see how they will revere this anti-prince who's the only one who has succeeded in pulling this off? But at the midway point in the peace deal, he'll break his covenant. And that's why it says he'll put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. The reinstituted temple procedures which will cause the Jews to 
wildly rejoice and cast caution to the wind will suddenly be dashed upon the rocks and once again humanity will see how foolish and blinded they have been. And he'll put a stop to all this temple practice. And it says, on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. In that very temple, he'll defile it in some way. It will be an abomination, maybe like that which Antiochus Epiphanes imposed upon the temple centuries ago when he brought in a pig to be worshipped in the very temple of Israel. Who knows what desolation and, and abominations this Antichrist will usher in. I'll tell you one, he will require worship in the very temple of Almighty God. That is the period known as the Great Tribulation, and we shall talk a lot about it in weeks to come. Good news, it will not last forever. It will go on, according to the text, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. That's called the Lake of Fire in which the unholy trinity, the beast, Satan, the dragon, the Antichrist, will be placed in the lake of fire as their eternal abode. The great tribulation, horrific though it is, will not last forever because one of the grandest peaks in God's mountain range of prophetic events will happen. It's called the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this event will take place then. So these four verses of Gabriel's prophecy recorded for us in the book of Daniel introduce all of the major peaks in God's prophetic mountain range, some of which are the rapture, uh, the great tribulation, the millennium, the second coming, the great white throne judgment and the eternal state. And Lord willing, in chronological order, as given to us in Gabriel's prophecy, we'll tackle them one at a time in weeks to come. And kind of beyond this, I think, for the next several months, actually. But in closing tonight, let me broach this one final question. Where are we now? In the unfolding of God's prophetic calendar, where are we? Well, let me uh, take a shot at explaining. Messiah, the prince, the real prince, was crucified, according to this prophecy in history, at the end of Gabriel's 69th week. Messiah was crucified at the end of the 69th week. The 70th week of Gabriel's prophecy, as we have seen, has a beginning point. The 70th week begins with the signing of a peace treaty between Israel and the Antichrist. But since that signing of a peace treaty has not yet happened, we are between the end of the 69th week of Gabriel's prophecy and the beginning of the 70th week. We are in the gap 
between the 69th week and the 70th week. We're in a period of time the Bible describes as the fullness of the Gentiles or the church age. We spoke of this when we analyzed Romans chapter 11. The church age, it began in Acts chapter 2 on Shavuot or Pentecost. The church came into existence then. And the church will pass out of existence at its own rapture when the Lord calls us home. So the church has a beginning and an end. We're in the church age, during which time God graciously is extending the gospel uh, primarily to Gentiles, not exclusively by no means, but primarily. So numerically, most of the people coming into the church today are not Jews, they are Gentiles. This is the fullness of the Gentiles. And when God has seen fit to bring in the full complement of all those Gentiles who will become his sons and daughters, then he will return to focus his attention on the Jews through the signing of this peace treaty with Antichrist. And that will begin the 70th and final week of Gabriel's prophecy. So until that happens, in case you're wondering where you are, you're in the gap. I'm in the gap. We stand in the gap. And that's not a bad place to be. In the time we have remaining, and I am no date setter, but it could be <laughs> surely in our lifetime. In the time we have remaining, before we're called home, through the rapture of the church, in the time we have remaining, we're in the gap, and may we use our opportunity in the gap to help all kinds of people to see the gap between them and almighty holy God caused by sin and do everything we could with more dedication and passion than ever to proclaim that Jesus is the bridge. He stands in the gap. We can cross over from sinful separation to beautiful, blissful communion with a holy God through Jesus who stretched out his arms on a cross in order to be the perfect bridge, the perfect mediator between unholy man and an otherwise unapproachably holy God. If you're looking for a reason to be my fellow Christians in the time remaining, burn white heart hot with an evangelistic zeal. Don't grow cold. Nothing else matters. Let's ask God to use us with more ferocity than ever before to tell people no longer any need for you to be alienated from the very giver of life because he expended the life of his only begotten son that you and I might live forever. Sinless, free, cleansed, in right standing as sons and daughters. So until the time when you and I are removed from earth, and it could be at any 
time. No further prophetic event need take place before the rapture of the church takes place. Everything is, we call it the imminent return of Christ for the church. That doesn't mean we set a date. We just know it could be at any moment. That's a good, healthy motivation for us to get busier than ever. Let's not get sluggish or discouraged. Let's do more. So until the time when we are moved from the earth at the rapture of the church. Now, this hymn came to me when I was studying this. Do you know this one? May the mind of Christ, our Savior, live in us from day to day. Do you know this one? By his love and power controlling in all we do and say. I fear I'm the only one who knows this. And I'm going to sing it, but I'm, I'm scared to death here because you, I need... Do you mind standing with me, um, please? And would you... Let's, tr- let's sing this. Look, let me just try to get the tune. It's a classic hymn. May the mind of Christ, my Savior, live in me from day to day. By his love and power controlling all I do. Oh, yeah, that was rehearsal. Now, look, thank you so much for chiming in. Does it ring a familiar bell? Seriously? I wonder if I got this from, like, the Lutheran hymnal. (laughs) Wow. Hey, well, let's give it a try. Can we sing this before our pastor comes? Can we sing this prayerfully? Would you make this? Let's have the mind of Christ in the times remaining. You know what he's minded on? None perishing, but all who will being saved. That's his heart. He's the Savior. You know, the anti-prince breaks his covenant. (gasps) Messiah the Prince keeps his word. You see? Let's get his mind. Let's sing it. Let's try it again. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day by his love power all I do. Thank you so much for your patience. Brother John, this is an easy act to follow.